there. Um, but we're going to continue the series. Christy did such a great job the last two weeks speaking really on the call of Moses. And if you are, if you missed any of those weeks, you can go on our website or on our app and you can. Did we talk Summer Palooza events? Did you say? Okay, good. I was good. That's the app thing. Um, so, yeah, get the app and you can listen to past messages. She did such a great job really focusing on Moses in those years. You know, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh for a lot of years. He was in Egypt. Well, and then he grew up in his, in his own home. And then he had that incident where he got into a fight with an Egyptian and ended up killing, him, killing the guy and had to go on the run back to Midian. So he's basically in hiding. And that's where God found him and called him, enabled him, equipped him. Uh, Moses was very, um, he was very unsure God, I don't know how to speak well. What's Pharaoh going to do? God had called Moses to say, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. The Israelites were in Egypt as slaves. And Moses was like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't speak really well. And so eventually God gives Moses Aaron and the two of them are going to go. And Christy did such a great job at how, uh, talking about how God called Moses, equipped Moses, challenged Moses had a, had a calling on the life of Moses to do the purposes of God and how important it was for Moses to eventually, you know, have that fear of the Lord, that respect, that obedience and trust to God and be willing to obey God no matter what. So that's where we continue the story today. We're going to continue on. And if you have a Bible and if you don't, I'd love to have you bring your Bible to church, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter four starting. And we're going to really kind of go through the story, just a couple of chapters of when Moses and Aaron go back to Egypt and begin the showdown with Pharaoh. Begin the showdown and say, okay, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And we see all that happens from there. But it is an interesting way that this story kind of starts out today in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. And that's where we want to start out, Exodus 4, 29. This is when Moses and Aaron, they leave kind of their homeland and they go back to Egypt and they meet first with the leaders of Israel, the elders of the Israelites. And it's kind of like an insight, like, hey, God's been talking to us and this is what we're going to do. And if you remember what Christy talked about last week, when Moses was doubting, God said, okay, I'm going to give you some signs and these signs you're going to show to the Israelites and these signs you're going to show to the Egyptians just so that they know that I'm God and I'm real and, and this is going to happen. And one of them was you know, throw down the rod and it will turn into a snake and then pick up the snake and it'll turn back into a rod and then the water will turn to blood. All these signs so that Moses and Aaron, when they go back and meet with the elders of Israel, that's the first thing they do. And they say, guys, God is with us. God is going to deliver us. And if you doubt what I'm saying, it's almost like, look at these cool tricks that God can do, right? And they do the whole throw down the rod and then they turn the water to blood, all these things. And this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 4. And it says this, Moses and Aaron, in verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people, those things that I just mentioned. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So this is a great moment kind of at the start of this big showdown, God versus Egypt, right? This is the start of it where just with the Israelites, just with the elders of Israel, they have this moment. And it's a great worshipful moment where they see the signs and wonders of God. And they say, God is with us. And this is going to go great. And we are going to be free. And God is going to deliver us. And they bow down and they worship. It's this great moment of thanksgiving, 
and God is going to deliver us. Well, then what happens? In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron, they leave that meeting with the elders of Israel, and they go to Pharaoh. The first time where Pharaoh is hearing, okay, God of Israel wants you to let these people go. And so he walks into Pharaoh's court, and Aaron says, the God of Israel says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? Who? <laughs> you know, who's the God of Israel? It says, in, in that day and age, it's important to remember that every nation had a God. And in Egypt, they had a number of gods, one of which was Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself was seen as like a god figure, the leader of Egypt. So this is kind of like a, a showdown of gods, where Pharaoh is hearing the Israelites have a god, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, great, you have your god, big deal. Like, I'm god too. We got our own gods, and we've decided not to let your people go because they're the slaves in our land. They're the ones building all the things and doing all the work. And so Pharaoh says, not only does he says no, but what happens is Pharaoh then says, well, just because you've asked, I'm going to make it all the worse for Israel. Not only am I not going to let Israel go, where they were doing hard labor, I'm going to make it even more difficult. Where their life was in misery before, I'm going to make it more miserable. Just to show you, you should never question me or question the gods of Egypt. And so this is what happens. And then I, this, I find this response from Israel so telling. Now remember, just a few verses before, Moses and Aaron were meeting with the Israelites. And they were like, yes, God is with us. We're going to be victorious. And they're worshiping and they're thanking God. And then Pharaoh says, nope. Life's going to get harder. And this is what happens in verse 21 of chapter 5 of Exodus. It says this. So they go back after all of this hard work is increasing. And they said, this is the people of Israel saying to Moses and Aaron. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So this is a very telling moment. Israel hears there's going to be deliverance, and when it seems like it's all going to go great, they're very thankful and worshipful. And then something difficult happens, and it doesn't go the way they think, and right away they're questioning God. They're qu well, the people are mad at Moses, and then Moses is mad at God. So it really leads to like this idea that they thought, they must have thought this idea of deliverance from Egypt was going to be super easy. Like it was just going to be the snap of a finger. God says, let my people go and says, and Pharaoh says, okay, here you go. And here's some money too for your journey. They thought that was what it's going to be. At the first sign of opposition, they forgotten all about that moment of worship. They've forgotten all about the promises of God. They had forgotten that their devotion was to God and that he was going to be to their deliverer. It's almost like they just thought it was going to be easy. It's almost like they thought this is going to be smooth sailing. And that's the first point of today's message is this. Our worship of God, our worship of him should never depend on God making our life easy. Right? And boy, we do that. We are a very circumstantial worshiping people. When things are going well, we equate that with God is with us. And when things are not going well, we think, where are you? Where are you, God? You said you were good. You said you were faithful. And here is something difficult. God, God moving in your life, and this might not be the best news today, but God's activity in your life is never without cost or difficulty. 
God's moving in your life is never without difficult circumstances because this is how we grow. And it's the first sign of difficulty if we turn from God just when things get difficult or hard. If we turn from worship and questioning God every time we face a difficult circumstance, if we start complaining every time, every time something gets difficult, well, that just points to our faith being kind of fragile and kind of wimpy, like circumstantial. It's, uh, there's so many parallels to this story, and us as parents with kids, we can relate to this. Kids love parents when everything's going good, right? No matter how old your kid is, from six months old to 18 years old, or even more than that, they love mom and dad when things are going great. Yes, yes, mom and dad, mommy dearest. We will, we will bow in thanks to you for all you've provided when it's great. And at the first sign of any sort of consequence to a behavior or something that's difficult, it's like, what is it? It's never, well, I trust in your wisdom, mom and dad. I know that you have my best interest at heart. It's, you're the worst parent in the world. You know, I, how could you do this? I thought you said you loved me. There is so many parallels to not only Israel and their relation to God, but us and our relation to God. Man, our, our worship of God should never depend on God making our life easy. Because it's not. Especially if you decide to give your life to Jesus for the first time. If you think it's just going to be smooth sailing. I believe, and I've seen evidence of this, and I think other people would attest to this. When you decide to step out in faith for God, that's when the enemy ratchets up his attention on your life. That's when things start getting even more difficult. And you're like, I clearly made a huge mistake in following God. This is awful. There will be difficult seasons. Now, ultimately... We know God is with us. He is faithful. He is going to bring us to victory and deliverance. But there will be difficult seasons when you choose to follow Jesus. So this is what happens. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, nope. And the people are upset with Moses, and Moses is upset with God. And then the big showdown happens. If you know anything about the story of Exodus, you probably know the big Red Sea moment, and you know what happens right now, the plagues that God releases on Egypt. And these plagues begin in chapter 10 of the book of Exodus. And there are 10 things that God unleashes on the nation of Egypt to show them, I'm God, I'm powerful. Eventually, you're going to give in. It's the, it's the stubborn parent, like, eventually, you're going to eat those vegetables and we can sit here all day. If only we had the power to, like, unleash plagues at the dinner table, right? If you don't finish your food and clean your room, frogs are going to appear. I gave one away. So there's 10 plagues. Anyone know what, uh, this is going to be like a little, little response time. Anyone know any of the other plagues? There's 10 of them. So anyone got any? Locusts, flies, blood, hail, darkness. Okay. We got a few more. Yep. The livestock were killed off. Come <laughs> Uh, wait, masks was not one of the plagues, I don't think, maybe in the message translation. So the water turned to blood, and then frogs covered the land. There was gnats, and there was flies. I don't know why we needed gnats and flies. And then the cattle, the livestock were killed off, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness. And then the last one, which we're going to cover in another sermon, the last one, the epic finale, was God... Um, the firstborn of all of the Egyptians were killed. And then there was the Passover, and the Israelites, had their firstborn were saved. And that's a whole other sermon. There's all these things happening, and this is kind of where we're going to stop the story today. 
These are all found in, in, uh, in Exodus, actually the, uh, chapter, starting in chapter 7 through 10. Um, this is God unveiling his power. This is God, this epic showdown. If Pharaoh and Egypt believes that Pharaoh is a god, this is a showdown of the gods, Israel versus Egypt. Now, I want to just talk about two things that are happening as God is unleashing these plagues on Egypt. There's two things that are happening here. And the first is, like I said, God is battling Pharaoh. This is a God showdown. This is God establishing himself as the one true God to Egypt. This is God saying, you might think you have gods. There is one God. There is one true God. There's another significant thing that's happening here. Not only is God revealing his power and authority to Egypt, he's doing the same thing to Israel. God is revealing his power to his people. God is showing his people what he can do. Because a lot of these Israelites, I mean, this is generations that have been in slavery in Egypt. They don't know the power of God. They've heard this promise that God gave to Abraham. They've heard about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they got there. All they've known is slavery. So they do not know the God of power and miracles. So this is not only God battling Pharaoh. This is God revealing himself to his people. This is God revealing himself to them so that they will learn to trust him. This is a foundational moment for the Israelites. Seeing God perform these miracles, seeing God unveil his power and might so that they are, their eyes are open to, whoa, this is our God. Our God is doing these things. This is our God. We can trust him. This is kind of that foundational thing that God is trying to build in his people I am powerful. I will take care of you. You can trust me. This is a foundational moment. This is one that God will refer to over and over, that God's people will refer to over and over as you read through the rest of the Bible. Over a hundred times, I did, a, I did a word search in the Bible this week for the phrase, out of Egypt. The number of times that either God or one of his people refers to him as, you're the God who did these things in Egypt. You're the God who delivered us from Egypt. It's well over a hundred times in almost every book of the Bible. This moment will be referred to where God unleashed his power and brought deliverance to his people. This idea is so that Israel will leave this moment and always have that in the back of their mind. We were slaves and God by his mighty hand delivered us into freedom so that when they leave, when they face the Red Sea, when they wander in the wilderness, they'll remember He's the God who did the gnats and the boils and the plagues and all that. He's the one who delivered us. The idea is to get his people to trust him. In the book of Leviticus, when God is giving them the law, he refers to himself as, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who did all those things in Egypt. In Deuteronomy, 40 plus years later, when they're about to finally enter the promised land, it's referred to again, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. When Joshua, now the leader of Israel in the book of Joshua, facing an enemy, or in the book of Judges, when the people are veering from God's command, or in the book of Samuel, when they reject God and ask for their own earthly king, in the book of Nehemiah, when Israel is rebuilding the city that's been demolished, even in the book of Psalms, songs of praise sung to the Lord are referring to the God who brought his people out of Egypt. Over and over, these moments are referred to and remembered. Jeremiah and Daniel, when they're prophesying, Hosea and Amos, when they're calling Israel to repent, 
Even in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when Stephen, the disciple, was about to become the first martyr, giving his life for the New Testament church, he refers to God as the God who brought his people out of Egypt. This moment that we're studying today is huge, is foundational. It's this, that God has proven himself, and therefore we trust him. God has shown his miraculous power with the darkness and the boils and the hail and the plagues and all the things so that we will remember his deliverance and trust him and obey him. It's when we're singing songs like we did today. Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. You have done all of these things. I want us to have that same foundation where God has revealed his deliverance to you so that when you are facing difficulties... When you are facing a battle, when you are facing famine or sickness or a struggle, or even when you fail in sin or disobedience, you can look back and say, yes, but God has been faithful. God has brought my life out of slavery, and he will do it again, and he will be faithful again. There are so many parallels to the Exodus story and our story of salvation. And so as God was revealing his power and his mercy to the Israelites so that they would remember it for generations... Well, the same is for us, right? The same is for us. When we are in, if our faith is becoming very circumstantial and when it's difficult, our first temptation is to get mad at God. Instead, a mature, growing faith is, no, I've seen you be faithful in the past. I've seen your deliverance in the past. I've seen you bring my life out of slavery and darkness into eternal life. And I know that you are God. I know that you are powerful, so I will trust you. Faithful you are. You've been faithful, and you will be faithful. Even in the darkest seasons, it allows a song of praise to come up. Like that song we sang, our rest and our confidence is in God's faithfulness. That's why we continue to sing. Amen? We remember his miracle-working power and his salvation and continue to trust and grow in worship. This is the work that God is doing in the Israelites, setting that foundation for his power, his goodness, his mercy, and his strength so that they would remember it for generations. And that's what we got to do today. Remember his faithfulness so that we can continue to move forward and trust him. Now, the other thing that's going on here, I already mentioned, is this showdown between God and Pharaoh. This showdown between the ultimate authorities, the seemingly unstoppable force and the seemingly immovable object, right? Pharaoh being the immovable object, and he is very stubborn. <laughs> he is very thick-headed, and he battles he refuses to give in to this God of Israel. As we can learn a lot from the Israelites in this story, as I've already mentioned, we can learn a lot from Pharaoh in this story. We resemble Pharaoh a lot, unfortunately. We resemble so often that very stubborn, I know, God, you're saying this. I know, God, you're trying to do this. And we are thick-headed and stubborn, like, I'm not giving in, God, Right? I'm not getting, we can become the spoiled child. We laughed when we were the parents thinking about our kids. Now it's like us. We can become that very stubborn, spoiled little child of faith. Like, God, I know you're saying this, but I ain't doing it. I know your word says this, but I ain't doing that. And we battle. And it really is like Pharaoh who had set himself up as a God. In our world, it's we have set ourselves up as God of our life, right? And this battle between God and us, who's going to really be in charge of your life? Who's going to be in charge of your life? We learn a lot about ourselves from looking at Pharaoh because Pharaoh refuses to give in to God. He is stubborn and he refuses to surrender to God. And that sounds like us often. And God is trying to get through to us the same way he was to Pharaoh. 
God is trying to get us to acknowledge that he is God. He's the one true God and he is in control of our life. And we refuse to give in. Now, that's not to say that when we refuse to give in, we got to look out for like the boils and the hail and all that stuff today. Although maybe it's why we have so many mosquitoes in Minnesota is some of you are in rebellion and this is a plague. Maybe there's other reasons why Minnesota life is the way it is. Maybe it's the reason why any time a Minnesota sports team you think is going to have a chance to do something good and then they crater. Maybe some of you are in rebellion and that's why it's... Minnesota drivers and, and a roundabout. Maybe it's a plague of God. Um, I believe that God, part of God's mercy, which we don't like, is that when we are being stubborn with him, when we are refusing to give in to God, he allows natural consequences for our stubbornness to come into our life. I don't believe that God is just like a, like a squishy with his thumb God, like, oh, you didn't do that. There you go. Bad things on your way. But he allows natural consequences for our rebellion all the time. And that is part of his mercy because he wants us to recognize when we are God and we're running the show, it leads to darkness and death and destruction. We think we're going to be a great God. We're terrible gods. And so he allows consequences through his mercy to come into our life so that we will learn to surrender to him. I was thinking about this this week. There's a lot of times that I do this or other people do this where we're like, I'm under spiritual attack. And I'm not minimizing spiritual attack. There are a lot of times where the enemy is coming against us. But I think a lot of times we say, I'm under so much opposition where it's just natural consequences for our own poor decision making, right? It's our own rebellion. It's our own way of, I'm running my life. And then when things don't go well because of decisions I've made, we blame God. God, why is this happening to me? God is allowing our rebellion to bear fruit so that we will learn, like Pharaoh and like Israel, that he is God, that he is in control. I said like Pharaoh. Ultimately, Pharaoh never learned this, and it led to his demise. But this was the battle that was going on between Pharaoh and God. Who is in control? Who is in control of your life? And Pharaoh never gave in. And it ultimately led to his demise and a lot of other people's. There's one thing that I wanted to point out as we wrap up in just a few minutes. And it's about one of the plagues. There's this part of the story in Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 8 where the plague of the frogs comes in. And maybe you've heard this part of the story before. But I want to read this. This was one moment where the frogs come. Now we think frogs, you know, that's fine. There was one day where <laughs> I just thought of this this week. We think frogs are, you know, they're kind of creepy and gross. But imagine the entire, your entire life covered in frogs. That'd be weird. That'd be gross. There was one time our son's room is in the basement, and he said, and he's got like the egress window thing, and there's the screen there, and he had the window open. He's like, Dad, I think something's by the window in my room. So I'm not sure if you came down with it. It might have been just me and Charlie, and we look on the screen, and on the outside of the screen, there's this giant frog just sitting right there, and I'm like, ooh, you know? And then we're both kind of like pushing it. It jumps away, and I think we both might have screamed like little girls at that moment. Ah! You know? Um... I would not want my whole world covered in frogs, all that to say. But there's this moment when the plague of the frogs comes to Exodus uh, chapter 8, verse 8. And this is a moment here. It says this. This is a moment where Pharaoh kind of has a, a momentary change of heart. And it says this in verse 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and almost said, like, enough. He said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I don't blame him. And I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh... I leave it to you, the honor of setting the time for me to pray 
for you and your officials and your people that you and your house may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile, obviously the frogs that were supposed to be there. Um, so Moses is saying, okay, you decide. You want to let, let the people go and you want to get rid of the frogs, you decide. You let me know when you're tired of the frogs. And what does Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. And it will be as you say that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. That word is a tragic word in the Bible. For whatever reason, Pharaoh's fine enough with the frogs to deal with them for one more day. Now, I imagine that in Pharaoh's courts, he's probably got staff of people that their whole, it's probably an all-hands-on-deck moment, like, your whole job is just frog removal. Constant, like, get this out of my house. Pharaoh probably had the means uh, to make his life not so terrible, even in, despite, even in spite of the frogs. To the point where he was like, I'm okay with one more night. I'm okay with the frogs for one. Maybe it didn't affect him that badly, and he just said, tomorrow we can get rid of the frogs. Why that's so tragic to me, that word tomorrow, is Pharaoh's not thinking about anybody else. This is not just affecting the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's disobedience is affecting the entire nation of Egyptians. Everyone else is affected by Pharaoh's sin and rebellion. I imagine if word got out that Pharaoh said tomorrow, the rest of the Egyptians are like, what? I'm literally covered in frogs. And you're like, ah, let's do one more day. The rest of the country is just like, get on it now. Stop being so stubborn and we can get rid of these frogs. Why would you be content with us having to deal with this plague for one more day? For one more second, let alone one more day. And here's what jumped out this week. And this is for me and this is for anyone watching online and everyone in the room today. When we live like Pharaoh and refuse to surrender to God, your sin doesn't just affect you. Right? We think, oh, I can manage it. It's fine. I'll deal with this thing in my life for one more day. We forget that your sin is having terrible effects on everyone around you. Like the Egyptians having to deal with the frogs because Pharaoh was in rebellion. Your sin is devastating the lives of others around you, and we don't often think about that. we got to remember, our actions, our stubbornness don't just affect us. They affect our families. They affect our communities. They affect our churches, our workplaces. The call that God has on your life to bring light into darkness, it affects that because we are walking around in stubbornness trying to be God. And we're saying, ah, sure, this area in my life is causing destruction, but that's okay. I've kind of managed it. Give me one more day. Maybe I'll surrender to God tomorrow. And the rest of your family is like, please, don't make us deal with this for another day. Maybe alcohol has a grip on your life and you can't rid of, get rid of it, but you're thinking, eh, you know, it's okay, it's not such a huge deal. You think that sin is just affecting you? That dependence and that addiction is just affecting you? I bet everyone in your world would say, please, don't give us one more day of this. Maybe it's your anger or an addiction to pornography or idolatry in some other area of your life. An addiction to some other chemical or any other substance. Maybe it's just a desire. What Christy talked about the last couple of weeks is approval for the, uh, you know, desire for the approval of others rather than the approval of God, the fear of others rather than the fear of God. Maybe it's just that desire, that people-pleasing rather than God that is just that act of rebellion. Maybe it's your refusal to lead your family in faith and you're just very passive about it. Or it's an insistent on, insistence on being right and winning every argument and just being um, angry with your family. Every relationship, every relationship in your life just becomes gossip and drama and it's all selfishness. 
It could be any number of things for the number of people in the room here, myself included. But what a tragedy when we stop thinking about how our sin is affecting others and we just get so self-absorbed and we're like, ah, this anger issue in my life, it's not that big a deal. God, we can, we can deal with this tomorrow, right? Give me one more day. This addiction that's gripped your heart, you, you forget how that's affecting your family, your wife, your kids, your workplace. Ah, oh, it's manageable. Just give me one more day. I'll, I'll deal with this tomorrow. Tomorrow is a tragic word. Tomorrow in that verse that I just read is a tragic word. Putting off what God wants to do. Forgetting how it's affecting those around you. There's been times, you know, Christy and I have been married 23 years now. Shocking to hear there, there's been times where it hasn't been smooth sailing all the, all the time, right? There's been times where there's been conflict and me, I can do the martyr and the distant and the, oh, there's so much conflict. I'm just going to withdraw and woe is me and just kind of be cold. And I, I, in my sin in that moment, I think oh, I'm just dealing with it. I'm just the woe is me. I'm the martyr. I do the martyr really well. Um, and I feel miserable doing that. But if it's something that I think, well, I can just manage it. I'll deal with it tomorrow. What about Christy? What about the kids? What about my family? How is my sin affecting them? There's times where we have to recognize, okay, this is not just about me. So I want you to think, do a little inventory, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life today. Maybe the things that you think are the plagues of God or the opposition that's coming your way, maybe it's God knocking on the door of your heart saying, how long are you going to deal with this area of rebellion in your life? How long? And how long are you going to put your family through this too? How long are you going to put your community through this too? Your marriage through this? I would love all of us just to have a moment where we just say, God, I, I don't want to be Pharaoh in this. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to be rebellious. I want to have you be the Lord of my life in any area of sin or rebellion. I don't want to be content with it because I know it's not just affecting me. There's a great moment as we wrap up today. Later on, you know, 40 years later, so spoiler alert for the rest of the story, eventually the Israelites, and we're going to cover this in the next couple of weeks. Pharaoh lets the Israelites go, and they're, might, they're, you know, miraculously delivered from Egypt. And then out of their sin, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then there's a moment in the book of Deuteronomy that I wanted to read in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is kind of, this is another moment where Moses is, is recapping the journey for Israel. They're about to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 30. And Moses is, remember this and remember this. It's in another moment where God has said, remember God, he brought us out of Egypt. Remember the God who brought us out of Egypt. Remember all the plagues and the mighty deliverance he brought us out of Egypt. And he's encouraging Israel to obey, to remember his faithfulness and to move forward in obedience. Can we throw that verse up there, Deuteronomy 30? And this is Moses, after he said all of these things, after he said, remember God brought you out of Egypt, he says this, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Let's just leave that verse up there for a minute. This is Moses saying, okay, you've got the choices. You've heard how God's been faithful. You've seen what happens when you rebel. I'm reminding you of all of these things because we're about to go into the promised land where God has promised this for generations. But let's remember what's important. There's a choice ahead of you, life or death, obedience to God or rebellion against God. The same choice that Pharaoh had, obedience to God or rebellion against God, it led to his demise. And he, he said the same thing for the Israelites. 
and ultimately the same choices for us. But what I caught in that verse, now choose life so that you, not only you will live, but what's that last sentencing? That your children may live. It's a generational thing. Obedience to God where we quit the rebellion and we say, I'm going to turn my life over to you not only has great effects for us, it has great effects for your kids. There is so much to be said about passing on this truth of God's deliverance to the next generation. There's so much to be said for the blessings of my obedience affecting my kids. Christy and I would both stand up here and be huge champions of the benefits to a legacy of faith. Our parents, all four of them, grew up in Christian homes. Our grandparents, great people of faith, ministers, missionaries. It is a legacy of faith that we have been handed on. It's a tragic thing if in our rebellion it stops with us. Our decisions to follow God and to be open to Him has great effects on us and our marriage, but on our kids and their kids and their kids. Generations that will be affected. And I think today there's probably some people that you're thinking, this would be great if I had a legacy of faith handed down to me, but all I've had handed down is the things that, like the plagues that you mentioned, this destruction and addiction and death and all of these things. Well, I love the idea of like a, like a legacy changer. I love somebody in faith saying, I'm going to be the first one to give my life to God. I'm going to be the first one to open my heart up to faith in God. And that pattern of addiction or brokenness or hate or whatever it is, anger, people-pleasing, destruction, whatever it is, it's going to stop here. I, I know there are stories in this church of people who have had unbelievable tragedy and darkness in the generations before them, and they're the ones that are changing it. They're the ones that are stepping up and saying, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to surrender to him. He is the God of my life. And that not just affects them, it affects their kids and their families. Generations will be affected. But it doesn't do that if you are like Pharaoh and stubborn and thick-headed and just saying, well, God, I'm still in charge. I'm going to deal with this for one more day. Tomorrow, maybe I'll think about faith. Tomorrow's a tragic word. First of all, we're not promised tomorrow. But it's just one more day that everyone around you has got to deal with your rebellion too. So we learn from this story how God is revealing his power to Israel so that they will trust him. God's revealing his power to Pharaoh so that he will surrender to him. And I think those two things apply to everybody in the room today in some way or another. So here's what I want to do as we close. Let's bow our heads. And I just want to have a moment of prayer. Now, you might have heard something today or maybe you're watching online today where the Holy Spirit, you felt like this kind of tug in your heart, a certain thing that I said that you're like, this is God speaking to me. And maybe it is like the Israelites that you have forgotten what he has done in the past. You have forgotten that salvation moment, that, that time where we say, yes, God, you delivered my life. You brought me out of darkness and slavery. You brought me out of sin and death into marvelous eternal life. And I've forgotten about it. I'm living in fear. I'm living in uh, uncertainty. I'm living with a, a, an, an unwillingness to take a step of faith because somehow I've forgotten how faithful you are, how mighty you are, how powerful you are. And maybe you are more on the Pharaoh side where you have just become stubborn and you refuse to give in to God. Maybe you refuse to give in to God to become a Christian and, and give your life over to him for the first time. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe it's something where there's an area in your life that you know is bringing death and destruction to everyone around you. And yet your response is just, ah, I can manage it for a little while longer. 
Maybe tomorrow we'll get rid of the frogs. Maybe tomorrow we'll get rid of this thing in my life. Whatever it is, I just want you to have a moment. And here's what I want to do today. I just feel like we should do this, have a little bit of a response where in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. It could be giving your life to Jesus for the first time. It could be just trying to remember his faithfulness so that you have a step of faith, a call of God on your life that you know he wants you to take. Or it could be a, I've been Pharaoh and I've been stubborn and it is time to get rid of this thing. I do not want to spend one more day with this area in my life. Whatever it is, there's nothing magical about raising a hand, but I just think there's times where there's that moment of commitment of, yes, I'm going to put my hand up as a sign between you and God, and that's it. Everyone's got their eyes closed and their head bowed today. But if something that I said applied to you in those regards, and you want to say, make that declaration of, yes, today is the day we're bringing about some change. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Whatever it is, I want you to just lift up your hand for a moment, okay? So go ahead and lift up your hand if that's you. Yeah, I see those hands. Thanks for lifting those up. Amen. Anyone else? Just making that sign between you and God today. There's something I got to change. You can put your hands down. And let's take a moment of prayer. God, we open up our hearts to you today. God, we open up our hearts as a sign of surrender. We open up our hearts to you today. Maybe for the first time, acknowledging that we are sinners and we need a Savior and that you are our Savior, Jesus Christ, because you died and you rose. God, we acknowledge our sin in how we have forgotten how good you have been. And we live lives in fear, live lives unwilling to take a step of faith. Forgive us for that today, Lord. And Lord, maybe there's some pharaohs in the room today or watching online that just have had this thing that they refuse to give up. They have this area of their life that they refuse to acknowledge that you are God. try to manage and we try to to medicate and all of these things and Lord today we just make that declaration today it's enough we don't want to wait till tomorrow this plague in our life is enough through our rebellion there are circumstances and it's enough and I pray for those people who are making that commitment today that you would strengthen them that you would encourage them that there is new life abundant life that there is healing and victory it is not going to be easy but the work is worth it And I pray whatever it is that you would just embolden them, that you would bring people around them to encourage them, that you would bring the right resources into their path, that they would dive into your word and prayer and just do the work in getting rid of this thing. And I pray that you would help them and that you would bring deliverance and freedom in Jesus' name. The addictions that bind, I pray that they would be broken in Jesus' name. By the power of your Holy Spirit, bring freedom and break those chains. It might be people in the room. It might be family members that we are concerned about. I pray that you would bring deliverance by your mighty hand. The God who brought his people out of Egypt. The God who brought his people out of slavery through the wilderness into the promised land. The God who leads his people. The God who sent his son to die for his people. Sent the Holy Spirit to empower his people. This is the God that is in work in us. So by the power of God, break the chains of addiction, break the chains of darkness, the plans that the enemy has to bring destruction. We bind those in Jesus' name. We're praying for healing and wholeness in every regard. We're praying for mercy and salvation in every regard. You are good. You are faithful. You have been and you will be. So our faith is lifted today in who you are and what we've seen you do in the past, and we know that you're going to be faithful in the future. So we pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name.
And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you would like someone to pray for you, something specific today, we're going to have some prayer teams up at the front. Um, I just encourage you to take a moment. If you want to stay and pray in here for a few moments, you're welcome to do that.